0: I'm kind of curious as to
1: why I was wondering What is the strange trend of I'm
2: very curious Curiosity Why else would our abilities to appreciate be amongst us?
0: Philosopher Thomas Hobbes once wrote Curiosity is the lust of the mind And if that's true, then watch out This podcast is going to make your mind real lusty. It's the
3: first ever Curious City podcast.
1: Now, Curious City is a little journalistic experiment housed at WBEZ. It's part of Chicago Public Media.
0: Here's how it works. You ask us the questions you've always wondered about Chicago, the region, the people who live here. Anything from... What I've always wondered about Chicago is why we have all the diagonal streets. To...
2: How many metal do you need to build um, the Sears Tower
1: You can submit your questions at our website, CuriousCity.WBEZ.org.
3: Then we put those questions up for a public vote. Like, would you rather know this question, that question,
0: the other thing?
1: Then somebody wins. Yay!
0: (laughs) And they get to come along with us as we find the answers together. There's one more twist. We show you what we're finding and how we're finding it along the way. I'm Jennifer Brandel, the producer of Curious City.
1: I'm Sean Ali, I'm the editor.
0: And I'm Logan Jaffe, the faithful intern. In
3: this first episode, you'll learn how Chicagoans kept cool before air conditioning.
1: And you'll get some insight into how those traffic reports you hear on the radio really work.
0: And you'll learn where all the animal poop goes from the Lincoln Park Zoo.
1: Question one.
3: Carrie Carlson from Rogers Park asked, With so many of our apartment buildings being brick and predating air conditioning, how did Chicagoans survive extreme heat before air conditioning was common? I've heard people speculate that there was a lot of sleeping on porches and camping out at the beaches. Is that true? Hey, this is Logan. So Carrie's question has these two parts to it, and I took them one by one. She mentioned these brick apartment buildings, and that actually made me wonder, Hey, are there any sort of architectural elements that help keep these houses cool before AC? Hmm. And there are. I spoke with Jack Spicer of Preservation Chicago, and here's what he has to say.
1: If you look at vintage pictures of some of the classic early skyscrapers in the Loop, like the Rookery or the Monadnock building, they're covered with awnings. Every building downtown on Dearborn have awnings all over, facing west and facing south, where the sun would build up and people had awnings on their houses as well much more than they do now also many of the buildings had very wide cornices at the top to act as shading um, both in uh, office buildings and in residential buildings
0: i had a cornice on my foot once (laughs) was it made of cement Oh, <laughs> I guess not.
3: <laughs> no, cornices are not what was on your foot. They are these broad overhanging eaves that you see on a lot of these older buildings. And what they would do is they'd help lock the sun and keep people inside of those buildings cool. And the time era we're talking about is around the 1930s, because after World War II, people did have air conditioning. And as for tales of people sleeping on beaches, porches, we decided to ask the people who lived through these pre-air conditioning days and get their take on this. So I visited the Hallmark, which is a senior living facility on North Lakeshore Drive. Here's what they had to share. We drank a lot of cold drinks. Ice was very popular. You know, there used to be vendors. That came around selling ice. We, we took a lot of ice out of the freezer and poured it on ourselves.
2: And at night, uh, my parents would open all the windows and uh, put an exa- they had an exhaust fan, a great big exhaust fan, in the dining room. And it would draw from the second floor, and it was very pleasant. It was really very nice. Oh, we had fans, electric
4: fans, and we suffered.
3: <laughs> in Chicago, a lot of people went down to the beach. Nobody was worried about muggers in those days. And families would take blankets down and lie on the sand. That was, that was fun. That was James Alter, Donald Novi, Bobby Catman, and Evelyn Clauber, who are all residents
0: at the Hallmark. What about the whole sleeping on porches and beaches thing? Yeah, people online
3: were telling us that they remember sleeping on roofs or beaches and fire escapes, too. Cool. Yeah, and here's another little fun fact. I found out from Sam Gard, who's this longtime architectural historian, he can kind of talk to you forever about anything involving Chicago, this auditorium theater even had its own ice storage room down in the basement. Where's the auditorium again? Oh, it's just downtown south. So the whole thing was insulated with two feet of sawdust between the walls. It's crazy. They had built this AC system that would suck up the cold air from that room, and it would take it through the walls and into the theater, and that would keep everybody inside cool. And you can still see those vents on either side of the stage today. That's badass. I know. I haven't been there, but I want to.
0: Question two.
1: Jennifer, Logan, you guys drive?
0: No. No. I do sometimes. And I pick up Logan sometimes. Yeah. that's, That's when I
2: drive.
1: Well, you know, I, I've lived in Chicago for a while, but when I first moved here, I didn't have a car, and I didn't have one for like 10 years, and uh, so when I was listening to the radio and I would hear traffic reports, including on WBEZ, I actually didn't know where the majority of these names of roads and all that were. I didn't know where they referred to. It was kind of like a foreign language to me, I would say. I still don't know
0: which ones they are and what they do, even though I've read the manuals and stuff. Yeah. It's just hard to stick. Yeah, I don't know how they talk so fast.
1: Right, and to this day, I still don't know exactly where the Jane Adams Expressway is.
3: Well, don't feel bad, I don't either.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, we figure a lot of people really don't understand some of these questions either.
0: The Edens is 15 either way between Lake Cook and the Junction. Kennedy out to O'Hare 23 on the outbound side of the Eisenhower, all clear. 29 out to Thorndale, same thing, heading inbound. Stevenson building outbound between Kedzie and Cicero, 25 minutes out to the tri-state. Dan Ryan is heavy in both directions, especially through downtown, out to 95th Street, 22 minutes and inbound 20 minutes.
1: Yeah. So Spencer Maz asked us, how do you know whether or not a travel time is good? Is there some length of time it should take to drive on different parts of our highways? Well, you may remember Sarah Jendra, who sadly does not do traffic reports for us at WBEs anymore. But anyway, she helped out with this particular question.
4: That's a good question. Every roadway does have its base travel time is what we call them. So, for example, on the Edens, the base travel time from Lake Cook to the Junction is 15 minutes. So, you know, if I say 20 minutes that it's five, five more than it should be. So it's really good for you to know your base travel time on the roadway you travel, because that gives you a really good picture of how much heavier it is than it's supposed to be without traffic. So um, I made this booklet. uh, It's a traffic guide, a PDF traffic guide. And in there, you guys have it on your website. I think it has the base travel time for every single roadway.
1: And if you want to take a look at the guide that Sarah Jindra just mentioned, go to our website. It's posted on wbez.org slash Curious City. Just look for our article that has the words, first podcast in the title. And we got one more traffic-related question, and this one comes from Margaret Ladner. She wants to know, why does even the smallest amount of rain seem to snarl Chicago traffic so badly? Is it that there are just tons of accidents, or is there another force at work?
4: Oh, I would love to know. It drives me crazy, too. Anytime it's even a tiny bit of rain, she's exactly right. It is bad out. And it's not, you know, it's not even because of accidents, because those delays start way before the accidents, which I guess it's a good thing that people are slowing down when it's raining. But as a driver, it's incredibly frustrating when when you know just a little bit of rain is going to cause you to be, you know, a half hour late for work. So, yeah, i you know, people are being safe, which you can't, you can't. Be mad at them for, but it does make a huge impact. Let's find out. One, two, three, three.
0: Question three. This one is a doozy. Kelly Clink from the North Center neighborhood asked us, "What happens to all the animal waste from the Lincoln Park Zoo?" So to answer it, I made this little radio story. And a warning, if you have an affinity for chocolate Dunkin' Donut munchkins, you might want to skip this piece altogether. Before getting on with the answer to what happens to the Lincoln Park Zoo waste, let's admit it, we're talking about zoo poo. And I gotta use some words, so there you have it. Anyway, it turns out animal feces is considered biohazard material, and I'm not allowed to actually follow its journey from the Lincoln Park Zoo grounds to who knows where. So instead, I talked to Dave Bernier, the general curator at the Lincoln Park Zoo. He says it's kind of complicated.
2: The first thing we do with the animal waste is that we use it as kind of a, a tool for us, a management tool. Now this is kind of weird poop talk, but uh, depending on your circumstances, uh, consistency, color, the amount every day, these are indicators for us on the general welfare and the well-being of the animal.
0: Bernier says zookeepers are always looking out for anything unusual.
2: Recently, we had a camel that had a uh, loose stool and normally they're well-formed in a pellet stool. Just think of chocolate glazed uh, from Dunkin' Donuts, the donut holes, right? It's exactly the same size as the donut holes. But if it starts becoming less formed or it's clumped together, then we start looking at their diet.
0: Turns out these camels had been eating too much of the free-growing plants in their exhibit area. So the zoo staff trimmed back the foliage and everything went back to normal for the camels and their poo. Still, Bernier says the naked eye can't detect all the important information animal waste contains Some of it is just too small. So the zoo collects some poop, takes it to their labs, and they run hormone tests.
2: I mean, animals are meant to mask any kinds of injuries or illnesses or deficiencies because a lot of them are prey animals or a lot of them just have to survive in a social context. But the the hormones won't lie.
0: Bernier tells this story. He says recently, a female antelope lost her cage mate. It died. The zookeepers wanted to see if it'd be more stressful for her to be alone or to have another antelope friend. They tested her feces for the stress hormone cortisol before, during, and after introducing another antelope.
2: It kind of fluctuated when we got the new one in and put them in the building. But then ultimately, both of their stress hormone levels went down below their baselines when they were together.
0: As for what the Lincoln Park Zoo does with all the feces that doesn't go to the lab for testing, which is most of it, well, keepers bundle up the poo and compact it with other garbage. Then they just remove it from the zoo. Some zoos around the country compost their animals' poop. But Dave Bernier at the Lincoln Park Zoo says space is an issue. The zoo is, after all, in the middle of the city and doesn't have the acres of land it'd take to run a composting operation. And there's another issue.
2: You've ever smelled composting feces it probably can't be awesome. We have a hard time getting people to to like the smell of our aardvark. I can't imagine what you know they'd like with this feces you know brewing somewhere.
0: So remember this Lincoln Park Zoo poo question is not a question you asked and frankly not one we asked either but Kelly Klink asked it for you. So what did she think of the answer?
4: I was a little bit afraid that
0: um the answer was going to be that it just sort of went into the regular sewage system and that there was like elephant poop floating around in Lake Michigan. We liked Kelly's question so much that we let her ask another one. And that turned out to be, which animal is the worst to clean up after? Here's Bernier's answer.
2: Special note on the hippos, they're the messiest of all animals because um, our hippos here a uh, river, uh, river species, or pygmy hippos, and so they advertise, they're also solitary, so they need to advertise their territory. They use it with feces, but instead of just dropping the feces, they use her tail like a propeller and they spray it all over the place.
0: This macho display has a name. Apparently the staff say the hippos are, quote, having a party. Note to Self and to Kelly, never invite a hippo to a party. Again. Jennifer Brandell, WBEZ. <laughs> So when we were reporting the story at the Lincoln Park Zoo, we came across this guy playing the banjo next to the camels, and his name is Dobro Joe, and we asked him if he would write a song for us on the spot about animal poop, and he did. Then this is it.
2: What do you do with camel poop? What do you do? What do you
1: do? Okay, I think that's pretty much it for this first episode.
3: Not just
0: saying this, but you should totally check out our website. It's CuriousCity.WBEZ.org. Yep, we got a lot more stories there, like how the express lanes on the Kennedy work and whether or not Al Capone had secret tunnels in suburban St. Charles. Don't forget the videos. Yes, yes, we have a ton of videos too. Videos with mimes enforcing traffic laws and piles of salt so huge you won't even believe it.
1: And you can ask your own questions that might inspire a video or... Yeah, if you're into radio, maybe a radio story.
0: Who's into radio?
1: Who's into radio? <laughs> but us. you can submit your questions about Chicago and the region at curiouscity.wbeez.org.
0: Let's thank a few folks. Thanks to our favorite psychedelic philosopher, Timothy Speedlevich, for inspiring us with his curiosity quotes, and to WBEZ's Alex Keith for additional voice work. And thanks to Adam Pindle for producing this podcast and making it sound so pretty.
1: Stay curious.
2: Curiosity, the tour guide inside all tour guides. The city is not only a fertile ground for our curiosity. Some days it seems as if perhaps the city itself is merely a secret mechanical invention created by curiosity so that maybe the city dweller is nothing more than a vehicle for curiosity to ride around in. And enjoy the safari that comes automatically whenever curiosity gets the opportunity to freewheel and run wild through the city streets.
0: Curious
1: City is, 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 is. is produced by Jennifer Brandel and brought to you by WBEZ and Local Lore, a national initiative produced by AIR, the Association of Independence Rio. Financial support work comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting,
0: the Dinko Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Andy, Hall, Andy Hall.